Welcome to the Powers That Be Daily, Puck's podcast focused on the intersection of Wall Street, Washington, Silicon Valley, and Hollywood, and the players who run it all. I'm Peter Hamby. It's Friday, May 13th, and today, Matt Bellany is joining us to talk about Disney Plus's impressive subscriber growth and whether it means they're anywhere close to knocking Netflix off the streaming throne. And later on in the show, Puck VP Alex Bigler joins us for another Feedback Friday featuring the one, the only, Fritz. We'll hear about all that and more on today's episode of The Powers That Be. Are you tired of sleeping hotter than hell? I sure am. I sleep hot. There's something crucial about sleep that eludes us when we're too warm, too uncomfortable, and too caught in the web of our own thoughts to drift off. And while curiosity fuels our days, science tells us that cool sleep recharges our nights. That's where Chili Pad by Sleep Me comes in. Meet the bed cooling system that elevates the quality of human life through cool sleep. The Chili Pad bed cooling system is your new bedtime solution. I love it. It lets you customize your sleeping environment to your optimal temperature, ensuring you fall asleep, stay asleep, and wake up refreshed. Chili Pad works with your existing mattress. It's a water-based mattress topper that continuously controls your bed temperature from 55 to 115 degrees, allowing your body to rest and recover. This isn't just about escaping the heat, it's also about optimizing your sleep for better health, more energy, and improved physical and cognitive performance, which I obviously need hosting a podcast. Chili pads are designed for one or two sleepers, so if your sleep partner likes to sleep at a different temperature, or you only need it for one side of the bed, that's okay too, and we know that's crucial. Plus, you can schedule automated temperature changes to trigger deep sleep. But when I'm at home, Chili Pad solves those problems. So trust me on this one. Visit sleep.me slash powers to get your chili pad and save up to $315 with code powers. This offer is available exclusively for Powers That Be listeners and only for a limited time. Order it today with free shipping and try it out for 30 days. You can return it for free if you don't like it with their sleep trial. Visit www.sleepsleep.me slash powers because you're not just investing in better sleep, you're creating a better life. Happy Friday, everybody. In fact, happy Friday the 13th. Play it safe today. Make good choices. I'm joined right now by Matt Bellany. By the way, I'm sorry I missed you last week when you guys were at Tower Bar. John was telling me that you're like the mater D of Tower Bar. Like everyone's coming over to say hi. Uh, I'd say more like the valet. The valet. Not necessarily <laughs> the mater D. Uh, people know who I am, but they're not exactly getting much from me. I had that in my head because I remember a couple years ago, Jake Tapper was fronting like CNN State the Union coverage, or at least he had a live shot position at the entrance to the floor and all of the senators were coming in and he was like right there live and he'd be like, hi, Senator Coons. Hello, Senator Johnson. It was live on TV and he was like shaking and checking in with like every senator that was going in. Someone tweeted hmm. like, is Jake Tapper the mayor D? <laughs> That's funny. I mean, the, the, the Hollywood equivalent is I used to have a seat at the Golden Globes that was right as you walked into the main lower bowl area. So literally people had no choice. When I would stand up and stand there, you know, be like, oh, hi, Lady Gaga. Oh, hi, Ryan Murphy. Oh, you know, hi, Michael B. Jordan. And some of them knew who I was, most didn't, but they would at least say <laughs> hello as they were passing by because it looked like my seat was, you know, somewhat important. Uh, why would I be sitting and standing right there? I don't know. That's cooler than saying hi to like Ben Sass or Tom Cotton or... Mike Braun or whatever. 
Anyway, I want to talk to you about Netflix, which I feel like is like in the zeitgeist ever since their last earnings call. But I want to talk about them in the context of Disney Plus, which just had their earnings. Tell us what went down on that earnings call and where Disney Plus is in the streaming ecosystem right now. Yeah, this is an interesting one because Disney is really creeping up on Netflix. And we wouldn't have thought that even year or two ago, Netflix had this huge lead in streaming subscribers and it's at about 220 million subscribers. And now Disney, when you include Hulu and ESPN Plus, Disney is at about 205 million oh, wow. subscribers. Um, now that's, there's some caveats there. Now 137 million of those are Disney Plus, which is their big service. Hulu has about 45, 46 million subscribers and ESPN Plus has 22 million. But some of those people are subscribed to the bundle. So they are counted three times. You can't subscribe to Netflix three different times. But for Disney's purposes, you actually can if you are subscribed to all of their services. So that's a little bit of a caveat, but it's a big change. Disney Plus launched, was it two years ago? Is that when they launched? Uh, three years three ago. Three years ago. So they, they're at like 147-ish million people in three years. That's pretty good. 137. 37. 137. But yes, but when you dive deeper into those numbers, you see a separate number called average revenue per user. ARPU. Which is, yes, ARPU, which is the number that these companies get from each of their subscribers. The Disney number, while creeping up, is still only around $6.00. Whereas the Netflix number is double that, if, mo if not more. So Netflix still has that. And that's because Disney gives away its service in some parts of the world. It charges a lot less for the core Disney Plus plan than Netflix does. Uh, the bundle is more expensive. But Disney still has a long way to go to generate the level of revenue from its streaming subscribers that Netflix does. But Disney's growing. And as we learned last quarter from Netflix is Netflix is actually shrinking or shrinked in the first quarter and then gave some guidance for the rest of the year saying that it was probably going to lose about 2 million subscribers in the next quarter. So that trajectory is not good, whereas the Disney trajectory is still pretty good. What's the difference in those two stories right now? Like, why is the trajectory good for Disney and for Netflix, it's downward? Well, I think there's a couple things going on. First of all, Netflix is the OG in the streaming space. It was, you know, launched in 2013 for real when it started with original programming. And it has just a head start. So Netflix is really mature in a lot of the markets. It doesn't have that much to grow in the US in particular, whereas Disney is still on the trajectory upward because it's amassing subscribers that have never subscribed before. The second part is that the Disney content bundle is just starting to kick into high gear. Every time Disney puts more original content on its site, that usually leads to greater subscribers. I mean, if you look at this past quarter, they put an original Pixar movie, Turning Red, directly onto Disney+. And while they didn't say that that specifically led to a spike in subscribers, you got to assume when a big budget, fully marketed Pixar movie goes directly to the service, people either sign up for that or maybe they had churned out and they come back or they stay subscribed when they would have churned out. So there's benefit to that content. It's all content-based and Disney has that library. You wrote a piece this week saying that the Netflix crisis is bad, but not that bad. You mentioned they've already had a few layoffs in recent weeks. You're hearing that there's going to be more employee cuts. Subscribers are slowing. Why is this crisis 
I mean, is it even a crisis? <laughs> like they're still baked into the culture. That's true, but it's not great. I mean, when anytime a company loses 70% of its value in three or four months, like that's not great. But Netflix was wildly overvalued. It was being valued alongside companies like Facebook and Google and Amazon, these, you know, pure tech companies yeah. when at its core, Netflix is a media company. It's an entertainment company. It's bread and butter is producing original content for global audiences. That's essentially the description of the Walt Disney Company. But because it had been a first mover in the streaming space, it really was valued like a tech company. Yeah. And that has all come down to earth. There's just not a belief in the investment community that Netflix will ever get to these 800, 900, 1 billion people around the world that are willing to pay for it. So they've done some things to juice that. They're going to offer an ad-driven tier later this year. They're going to crack down on password sharing. They're going to do a lot of things that they haven't done in the past because they haven't needed to. Now they need to. And all of the services are moving in that direction. Disney will have ads by the end of the year. Hulu already does. HBO Max already does. Everyone except pretty much Apple is going to have an ad-driven tier and it's going to be opt-in. You know, you don't have to have the ads. You can pay to not see them. But what it's going to do for Disney is it's going to allow them to probably raise the price of the ad-free tier and then have this secondary tier of people who are willing to endure the ads for less money. Before I let you go in this Netflix piece, you mentioned something I hadn't heard of which is a show that Netflix greenlit called The Pentaverate. Uh, the, 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 the Pentaverate. Pentaverate. The Pentaverate. <laughs> there you go. It's <laughs> a so Mike Myers comedy, I guess, so, okay. question mark. It seems like you were forced to watch this or you chose to watch it because you're a masochist. You write, the first episode consumed 31 minutes of my time. I will never get back. This was a show that went ahead at Netflix, even though it was clearly terrible. What is this show? Mike Myers? Is, is it's he Mike in it? Myers. Yeah, he's he plays like five different characters. <laughs> it's it's Mike Myers' return to whatever it is he does after you know a long break, and it, it's purely Netflix. This is the kind of thing where their ears perk up every time they hear that there's a star that would like to be in business with them, and you know this has been the problem over the past few years. They've sort of given these people blank checks and carte blanche to do what they want to do, positioning themselves as, you know, we don't give notes. We don't do this. Now, the truth is they do give notes, but a pure star vehicle on the likes of Mike Myers, who is a big comedy star, they're going to give him a lot of leeway. And he had the rope and he hung himself with it. Our producer, Adam, just sent us a chat saying this is his Norbit. Yeah, or Love Guru, which was... Another yeah. Mike Myers project that did not do well. I, mean, I Mike, feel like he hasn't Mike, done well in a very long time. And I'm a huge, I mean, Wayne's World is like a top five movie for me, uh, but it's been a while. That's the thing. Some of these star vehicles that Netflix has done have been bad shows, but they actually have charted in their top 10, like that yeah. Steve Carell shows, Space Force. There's been a couple of others that have just been bad, but like big stars are in it, so people watch on Netflix. This isn't even in the top 10 in its opening week. So that's a lose-lose. So I, I want to leave you with this. Since you're in the Ringer Network, you know, Simmons loves his bits. And one of my favorite bits they do is, is on the Rewatchables podcast, they say, you know, where they go back and look at a movie like Wedding Crashers or Forrest Gump, and they're like, which part of this movie aged the worst? Uh, I was just Googling Norbit. And for everyone listening and like thinking about the kind of movies that got made in the 2000s that would never get made today, like Google Norbit. Google the Norbit movie poster and just like think, 
about that movie getting made in the year 2022. It reminds me of that movie, like, Shallow Howl. Uh, with oh yeah, <laughs> Jack Gwyneth Black, Paltrow. And Gwyneth Paltrow, and like Gwyneth Paltrow basically just wore a fat suit. Wasn't the premise that Hal only sees fat people as skinny? Or no, like no. That? The premise was he's shallow, shallow Hal. He sees Tony Robbins, a self help guru, who like brainwashes him to see people's inner beauty, and so he ah. typically only dates hot women, and then. He falls in love with Gwyneth Paltrow, who in his mind's eye is Gwyneth Paltrow, but it's really a 300-pound version of Gwyneth Paltrow. So anyway, it's just like this kind of like, man, the 2000s <laughs> mistakes were made. <laughs> Fun fact about Norbit, the director of that movie was Brian Robbins, who is now the chairman and CEO of Paramount Pictures. So he's literally running the studio that is making movies. Um, I don't think Norbit is probably the reason he got the job, but it is kind of funny. I haven't thought about Norbit in a decade. So thanks, Adam. All right, cool, Matt. Have a good weekend. Thanks a lot. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you profit with NetSuite. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash powers that be, netsuite.com slash powers that be. That's netsuite.com slash powers that be. Hey, Powers That Be listeners, I'm here to tell you that there's no reason to panic the next time you're searching for the perfect gift. Now you can use gift mode on Etsy. Gift Mode on Etsy takes the stress out of gifting, so you can find the perfect item for anyone and any occasion. It's easy. Just tap or click Gift Mode on your Etsy app or Etsy.com. Then answer a few short questions about who you're shopping for and what they like. And Gift Mode instantly gives you a curated list of gift ideas based on hundreds of personas. I use Etsy all the time and have for years. I bought my brother some artwork. I bought my wife some jewelry. I even bought a rug for our living room on Etsy. I love it. But there's a lot of pressure around gifting. I usually have a hard time thinking of gift ideas for friends and family members around the holidays or birthdays in my life. And sometimes I get super stressed trying to find the perfect thing. But now with gift mode on Etsy, I can search hundreds of gifting personas and find so many incredible items. And I actually just found the perfect gift for a buddy who's just as into Cincinnati sports as I am, a hot cup of Joe, Joe Burrow mug. That's right. I found that on Etsy. It's amazing. Now it's simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. So whether you need a housewarming gift for the new homeowner or a birthday present for the pickleballer, Gift Mode has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try Gift Mode on Etsy now. 
Welcome back, everybody. Uh, it is Friday afternoon, which means it is time for a weekly segment we like to call Feedback Friday, which features Fritz, which is a double alliteration. I'm joined right now by Alex Bigler, who is absolutely not Fritz. You're like the drudge whisperer. You're the only one that's allowed to talk to Fritz. Humbled and honored to be here, Peter. <laughs> so good to see you. Alex, you just told me before we got on that Fritz is hearing a lot of feedback about how we have Feedback Friday. We have Media Monday, but we don't have any alliterative branded segments on Tuesday, Wednesday, or Thursday. Are you are, are you hearing any ideas out there? Yeah, we got some really pointed feedback this week from not only a loyal listener, but a loyal Puck subscriber mm-hmm. about this lack of alliterative segment names. So I took the liberty of coming up with a few of my own. Okay. would love to run them by you, but would love you to take a stab too. So... First one I had was Twitter Tuesday's fine. What about train wreck Tuesday? We could talk about the biggest disasters of the week. Mm-hmm. Um, what were you thinking Wednesday? Which mm-hmm. honestly could also work for Thursday as well. I like the Thursday better. The thinking Thursday. What were you thinking? Yeah. Okay. What else you, you got? Know, in reading these, they're actually all pretty mean. Now mm-hmm. that I'm now that I'm kind of staring. Well, the what you're what were you thinking Thursday or what were you thinking Wednesday is sort of like a kind of like who won the week or like biggest person in the news of the week or like the biggest winner, biggest loser kind of thing. So it could be. It doesn't necessarily have to be bad. Trainwreck Tuesday is a little tough. That is a little tough. I'm just it's a little early in the week to just like stick with the train wrecks and stuff. There's a lot of train wrecks early in the week. I don't know. I think I'm just a big train fan. So yeah. the band and the mode of transportation. So that's... that's wow. Cool. Train the band. Drops of Jupiter. Song of the Summer, 2002. It's got a much, <laughs> bro- much broader catalog than that. <laughs> yeah, I know. But, okay, well, if you have any... I mean, I think we can keep workshopping this. Yeah, I'm trying to think. Um, you know, we could do like a Washington Wednesday. We could do a Tinseltown Tuesdays. Hey, no, this is bad. We got to keep thinking. Anyway, anyway, people... Email Fritz your suggestions. Reach out to fritz at puck.news. And if we end up using one of your segment names, Fritz will send you a piece of merch. Yes. How's that? I think we need more Puck merch. Alex, so what was the hottest, spiciest, most in-demand piece of the week on Puck? So I would say that the piece of the week that hit not only with our subscribers, but was very talked about on Twitter as well, um, was written by one of our journalists. Their name is escaping right now. It starts with a P. It's like Phil or Paul. (laughs) Oh, Peter. The Peter Hamby piece. Um, Your piece was, it was so fantastic. You are such an incredible writer. Oh, thank you. But your piece was spoken about widely as a must read. I believe one of the reasons you joined Puck was because you wanted to write more. Is that Right. Yeah. You know, I wrote at CNN a lot, but I when I went to Snap, you know, it's a video platform and I sort of missed that muscle. And when the road news happened, I was sort of compelled to write something just because most of my time at CNN, at least, like was covering Republican politics before Trump. And so I just had this like library of knowledge in my brain about the anti-abortion movement and conservatives and how they wove evangelicals and and Baptists and conservative Catholics into their political movement. And it just became the symbiotic thing uh, that over the course of 40 years culminated in in Samuel Alito writing apparently this majority opinion. And so I think that now that I'm not doing like day-to-day beat reporting anymore, I think my strength is sort of stepping back from 
the fetishization of the right now that happens on Twitter every single day. And like, you have a lot of people who care about what's happening right now and no one really pokes their head up and like looks 10 years in the past or 10 years in the future. And, and so I try to add a little perspective. So thank you people who read the piece. I really appreciate it. It's funny you said that because one of the actual comments we got on Twitter was, if you want a good sense of what is going to happen in the next three, five, 10 years, you need to read whatever Peter Hamby writes. So <laughs> it was pretty, pretty spot on. Maybe I'll, I'll become a futurist in my next job. Like, uh, who was that guy? Alvin Toffler. Anyway, uh, I understand you, uh, sorry, not you, <clears throat> Fritz had a interesting interaction over a uh, corporate subscription matter. Can you can you yeah. elaborate? No, this actually was me. Okay. Um, and if anyone from WME or Endeavor is listening, you know, just just feel free to reach out to Fritz to get in touch with me. I was on a client call this week, and um, I was talking, and this person kept saying, you know, your name sounds so familiar, and I can't figure out why. And finally said, oh my God, you are on the podcast on Fridays. They're a very loyal listener, not to me, to the Powers That Be podcast. And that was why they they recognized my name. Um, and they literally said, oh, you mentioned having group subscriptions. I didn't know you have group subscriptions. Uh-huh. I'd love to get one for my group. And so we got one. So if you also are a loyal listener and still didn't know that we had group subscriptions, you should reach out to Fritz at Puck.News, who will hook you up. So could like a family of eight get a group subscription? Technically, a family of 10 could Whoa. get a group subscription. Okay. We're eating Netflix's lunch on the password strategy thing. That's right. Watch out, Disney. Our numbers are <laughs> rising, too. <laughs> All right, Alex. Have a great weekend. Thank you. You, too. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of The Powers That Be. As a reminder, The Powers That Be is the official podcast of Puck. We'd like to thank Ben Landy, Liz Goff, and Alex Bigler for their editorial and production guidance. If you like what you hear on this podcast, please share with a friend. It really helps us keep delivering the inside scoop that only Puck can offer. You can visit us at puck.news and on Twitter at Puck News. I'm Peter Hamby. See you next week. This has been a presentation of Cadence 13 Studios. Please listen, rate, review, and follow all episodes wherever you get your podcasts. The Powers That Be Daily is executive produced by John Kelly, co-founder of Puck, and Chris Corcoran, chief content officer and founding partner of Cadence 13. 